Hello, everyone. Uh, this is episode three of Gaming's Lost Memories. I'm your host, Big Reed, and today we'll be talking about Final Fantasy X and the death of the modern-day turn-based battle system for RPGs. Uh, and I, I say death um, because you don't see it as much in mainstream video games, but it, it, it's not permanently gone. So, you know, first and foremost, um, I don't want anyone to get hung up on the, the word, the choice of words there. Um, but for Final Fantasy and a lot of like mainstay, uh, you know, really well-known role-playing games have moved away from your turn-based battle systems where it's kind of like waiting on actions, like the old school battle systems that you're kind of like, you know, accustomed to if you've been playing role-playing games for a while. Um, so they're still out there and, you know, in later episodes, we're going to talk about the Shin Megami Tensei series and Persona series and everything like that. Um, cause there are games that, you know, JRPGs in, in particular that still rock the, the turn-based battle system and some of like the older mechanics that the industry has kind of moved away from. But Final Fantasy X, I kind of look at as like a, a love letter to a lot of like the old JRPG slash RPG tropes um, and things that you're kind of, you know, accustomed to, like, you know, traveling around um, through different sections of the game, you know, leveling your characters, which is different in this game, too. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, having a set of characters that take turns during the battle and while all the enemies are in your parties kind of like standing there staring at each other. Um, but there's a, a tactical element to it, so we'll kind of uh, uh, jump right in. So Final Fantasy X, uh, a little bit of history here. Uh, they started developing it, uh, I want to say like 1999 or so, um, released a couple years later. It was uh, on the PlayStation 2, and it was the first Final Fantasy game to have voice acting, which <laughs> is hit or miss at times. Um, I think the voice actors do a phenomenal job. Um, but there's a lot of uh, a, a lot to be desired, and, and keep in mind this is like the first one to do it. But uh, with the audio, the English audio, I should say, matching up with the Japanese, you know, voice movements and mouth movements, um, there's a little bit left there to be desired. I would say uh, it doesn't always line up perfectly. But I thought, um, you know, the voice actors overall, I think they did an awesome job. Each character has a really unique sound, um, you know. Uh, Waka, for example, he just the the voice actor for Waka just absolutely nailed it. I think it's the voice actor for like Bender from Futurama and stuff too, actually. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Titus, Yuna, uh, Kamari, is that how you say it? Uh, like everyone, Lulu, everyone does an absolutely Orin. Like they're they're all just it's all really solid. But there's a little bit of you know growing pains because anytime something is the first or you know there's something in the game industry where it just technologically hasn't been done. Um, you know, often anyway, there might've been games before that, that had it. Um, but it, it, it adds a level to the characters that makes them a lot more human. And also, uh, at, as a player, when you're watching it, it makes it feel more like a movie. So when you have a cutscene, you're not kind of reading through it. And I don't know about you guys, but I read a lot faster than I can listen. So, uh, I always like having subtitles on, by the way, I'm one of those people. I absolutely love having subtitles on if, when there's audio, um, <laughs> I could read so much quicker. Uh, so I, I like both styles, but it does give a lot more personality. Um, so it was interesting to see this game have an old school battle system, but introduce a lot of really unique elements that you haven't really seen up until that point. So, um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, your characters battle, you get, uh, I think, um, 
sphere nodes, nodes or whatever they're called. Um, but when you level up, your characters don't have levels. So, you know, every at this point, up until this point, we're kind of used to RPGs having, you know, level one, level 99 or level 100, you know, whatever the max is. And, you know, every time you level your character, you get a stats boost. Um, you know, in this case, you have a giant grid where there's a ton of spheres and each of the characters starts in different sections of the grid, which kind of uh, complements their battle style. Um, so Yuna, one of the main characters, for example, she's kind of like a white mage uh, slash summoner. So, you know, obviously she's going to have a bigger focus on magic, summoning, abilities, like all of that, where Orin, you know, is your tough, tanky, heavy hitter. So he'll be, you know, a lot more powerful and he'll have abilities that like cause physical impairments and he can do a lot of damage, you know, yada, yada. But what was really interesting there is that sphere grid, you can open it up at certain times and, you know, take all the characters through other parts. So as they kind of progress through their sphere grid, um, each of them have a quote unquote path. Um, so like you'll kind of get to the end of it and you'll have like a you know, an ability or something unique for that character that unlocks at the end of it. And then you can take them through other paths as you, you know, defeat bosses and unlock, you know, special nodes, uh, like level one through five, I think maybe. Uh, but long story short, a really innovative and new feeling leveling system. And, and to be honest, when I first played it, it was weird not having levels. Like you're just so used to like getting experience and you get experience in the form of like unlocking those nodes to, you know, increase stats like HP, attack, etc. But it was really weird just not having levels. <laughs> uh, and the, the weapons, too, were also, like, pretty interesting because um, your weapons have slots and you can put, like, abilities and, you know, like, um, improvements on them, essentially. And I think a weapon and uh, there was, like, armor, too, or, like, an item, uh, an accessory, whatever you'd want to call it, where you can equip, like, multiple abilities to it. So that whole process was pretty neat. But in the smack dab of it, you know, you have an old school, you're going to wait to take your turn battle system that kind of like ranks all the characters and enemies based upon speed and kind of dictates, you know, where they go. And obviously like abilities like haste can, you know, change that. But it's really interesting seeing all of these like new elements coming to the series at the same time that they're like, hey, we're also going to, you know, rock a... Uh, uh, turn-based battle system but it does it perfectly so i the reason why i wanted to record this episode and i'm doing two back-to-back -back final fantasy episodes which i honestly wasn't expecting um i was hoping to get in the more you know niche stuff the more nerdy stuff like smt and persona soon which we definitely will however i, I saw a post i think it was on the final fantasy subreddit so there's a few that i you know follow just a few like jrpg ones and stuff like that um, but, you know, somebody had posted, uh, it was Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, so the one on the PSP where it had that weird, like, lottery system where it would summon and use abilities and stuff, but uh, you, it was more of, like, an action-y system where, like, you pick your attacks and the character kind of carries it out, um, and, you know, this person just kind of casually mentioned, I don't think they were trolling, but it was, like, you know, I'm playing this, this is awesome, like, turn-based battle systems are awful. And reading the comments, you know, because obviously you go to a Final Fantasy subreddit or you go to, like, an old-school JRPG subreddit and you're like, I hate turn-based battle systems and, like, all the old things that, like, you know, people that have been playing video games for a while are like, hey, you get off my lawn, you kids. Um, 
But anytime you, uh, you know, kind of poke fun at those old school things that a lot of us are used to, you know, we get, you know, cranky and act like old people and <laughs> we'll tell you to, you know, get away. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and there's some, some truth to that. So if, if it's done correctly, I still believe today you can have turn-based battle systems. And I think a lot of like series have already proven that. There's a lot of like smaller JRPGs, but I, I look at the Persona series and what it, it's become, and you can still rock it modern day, still have a huge success with your game. It doesn't slow the game down at all. Like it's tactical. Like there's a lot you can still do with it. So it's a shame that we don't see them as much anymore because I feel like you could take that concept and update it so you know, let's be, let's real talk here. So why do some people not like old school, you know, JRPGs? Well, um, you have, you know, a big overworld or a big map and you have random battles. So that's like, that's a big killer for some people where you can't see the enemies and that doesn't bother me too much. Final Fantasy X has this feature as well, where you're running around and then all of a sudden it'll trigger a battle, you know, randomly. I don't, uh, that doesn't, bother me but I've also been playing you know RPGs for a long time and while I don't have the same time that I used to just being busy with life and everything like that I can still you know go back and play Final Fantasy X or play you know a Persona game or play something with an old school battle system and it's still fine um, and I also understand you know I, I think the Tales of series does a really good job with having like you know I don't know if they were one of the first but I, I distinctly remember seeing that as like a common feature in the earlier games um, where you would see the enemies on screen, you run into them, and it goes into an action-based battle system. So <clears throat> I, I don't think... I, I think there are bad turn-based battle systems, and that leads people to believe that, you know, they're bad. And I think there's other features, like your random battles, which, you know... That one I can kind of understand where somebody's coming from a little bit. Uh, so I, I can see that, you know what I mean? So you, you have features like that, you have maybe they're really long... You know, that might be another one. And I think Final Fantasy X, I'd say between like 30 and 50 hours to complete. But to be honest, like the entire game, I'm basically on the edge of my seat playing it. Like it never feels like there's a lull in the game for me. Um, but that that's another thing that, you know, with JRPGs that they've really tried to <clears throat> explore with the advancements in the game industry and just updating some things that maybe had to be a certain way or maybe were designed that way so they just became like a part of its history so at the end of the day you know somebody goes to make a you know an, another final fantasy or another jrpg you know 20 some years ago and they're like well it's got to be a turn-based battle system so you know how can we do this you know so i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that uh and some of those you know long time tropes and mechanics that have been existing in you know jrpg games i don't think there's anything wrong but what i will say <clears throat> is Final Fantasy X is like the beacon perfect example of if you're going to still rock a turn-based battle system, you know, that's how you can do it. If you want to change the random battles into seeing the enemies on the screen, you know, that's okay. But one of the fun things about random battles is you can just keep running around and keep battling and leveling. And while I don't always do that in every game, you know, just like take times to just, like, hey, I'm just going to level up for like an hour or two. I like that as a player ability like giving the players abilities to choose to do that if they want to, if they want to take some time to level up in a cool area or explore. Um, I, I still like that idea. And sometimes it's a little bit harder uh, with the enemies appearing on the screen because if you clear them out, then it has to be programmed in there that they'll reappear. 
So, you know, at that point, like, can you avoid them? If you can't avoid them, awesome. Then that kind of, I guess, you know, makes it, you know, worthwhile to skip the, be able to skip those fights. Um, but you can also flee in Final Fantasy X. So, I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, it's an interesting concept and you see a lot of debates and everything like that. But uh, to kind of, you know, get back to the main point here. So I see this post and I'm like, interesting. I'm reading the comments and the replies and the poor person's being downvoted into oblivion. But I don't think they're trolling. I think they're just being honest, like, hey, you know, they might have been a younger a younger player or maybe newer to some of these, you know, older RPGs. And it's it feels absolutely insane to say Final Fantasy seven or Final Fantasy seven Crisis Core is like an older game. But I'm like pretty sure it is because wasn't it like mid 2000s? Like that's already like 15 years ago. Like, I don't know. Time is flying. So that's neither here nor there. But if you're going to create an old school turn-based battle system, Final Fantasy X, I feel like just does it in in the perfect way, and I really do believe that if you know uh, Square or another company was gonna, you know, do that again, I, I don't know how it impacts sales. To be honest, I'd be very curious about that now because I, I do think there are some people that just won't play the old school way, um, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but the the way that the series evolves, the newer battle systems, they have to be worthwhile. So if you're going to change something, you want to change it for the better. And I think Final Fantasy X also takes the turn-based battle system and changes it for the better. So to kind of just break down like what it looks like, you have your you know playable characters, and they each kind of have their special you know specialty, uh, kind of almost like a rock paper scissors type thing. Um, so you know like. Waka, he throws a blitz ball, <laughs> which uh, can we can we talk about Waka just for a second that like everybody, you know, summons, uses magic or has swords basically or some type of like sharp weapon. And he uses like, you know, a, a blitz ball, which is like the equivalent of like a soccer ball, essentially, and just like chucks it at the enemies. But he has high accuracy um, from the get go. So if there's a flying enemy that can dodge really well, your sword people might miss it. You know, he comes out and blasts it. You'll have armored enemies that Orin's better at. Um, I'm trying to think. There's, like, magic enemies, you know what I mean? So it kind of introduces that pretty early on. And what's really nice here, too, is you always want to give the players control. So if you're going to do something like, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to stick with this type of battle system, then you want to improve it where you can. And one of the cool things is you can switch characters at will, basically. <clears throat> so say it's, you know, like, Titus is... Oh, Oh, Titus, Titus. Oh, baby. That's well, I'll say Titus for this podcast because it's always been Titus to me. Um, but, you know, say you have Titus out there, you can switch him, you know, with Yuna or with another character like real time. So you run into like a random battle and there's an enemy where maybe, you know, he's weak or you just got to get him out of there. You can switch it for another character that has an advantage over that enemy. And it's like really quick and simple. So. Although it is like an old school battle system, you're waiting to take your turns. It's quick. Like you can switch characters. You, you're you blasting through like weaknesses. Like it's really interesting how you can utilize them. And, and technically, I think every character can participate in a battle if you need to, um, which is really interesting because so many of the older like Final Fantasies, I basically, you know, find my crew and stick with them. Or in the case of like Final Fantasy 12 and some of the other games that have, you know, um, either smaller parties or more characters, I break it into two groups. So, you know, I'm just like, okay, I use this group and then I'll get like 10 levels or something like that. And then I'll switch or, you know, I'll just, but it's always kind of been split up with this one. It's like, Hey, you can use any character. It's like a Swiss army knife of characters 
where you can just pull in anybody that you need, you know, that's correct for the job in the battle system. So that's something really cool that, you know, resonates well with the battle system and is aged well. Um, so Final Fantasy X released was big success, like 8 million copies sold. That's awesome. It was only on the PlayStation 2 at the time um, because Nintendo and Square, oof, you know, had a falling out. I feel like that could be its own podcast. Um, but yeah, so actually, you know, we'll, we'll cover it real quick. So, you know, so many people think that Final Fantasy and PlayStation are synonymous with each other, <clears throat> which to be honest, you know, for the modern day industry, they really are. So Final Fantasy one through six, that was on NES, Super NES. Um, and, you know, Nintendo makes some interesting choices. So I think it's very clear that Square likes to tell stories and they want to at the time, because even like Final Fantasy seven, for example, on the game over menus, um, it, it would look like a, f a film reel cut in half if you got a, the end screen. So I think they Square want, wanted to tell a story akin to, like, this is a movie experience. So you're playing the game, and that's incredibly important. But it's telling, like, a story in the way that you would tell a story via a movie. And I think that becomes clear with Square, you know, as they ended up creating a movie studio and, you know, made a, a movie that didn't do too well. But long story short, Nintendo made the choice when they released the Nintendo 64 to use a cartridge-based system. It's tried, it's true, but it's got small amounts of memory. Like, it can only hold so much capacity. So if you're doing a, you know, a cutscene, which, you know, Final Fantasy X as well has a ton of cutscenes, but if you want to do, like, a, a computer-rendered cutscene, it's going to take a lot of data, and that's just not going to be doable with a cartridge-type system at the time. That has changed now uh, pretty substantially, but at the time, you know, the CD-ROM, which I think is what the PlayStation was, I think it was CD-ROM, um, you know, it could just hold more data. And that was basically it. So Square comes out, hey, we're making Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation. We like the, the hardware better. We like the, you know, the medium better of having the CDs versus having the cartridges. And also, that's there's more salt in the wound here. And this will be a little bit of a tangent, but... You know, the PlayStation was a Super Nintendo CD expansion. So, you know, it was the Nintendo PlayStation. That, that's what the PlayStation was. Nintendo and Sony couldn't come to an agreement because I'm pretty sure that I, th I think that Sony wanted uh, the software ownership as well or money from the software. And Nintendo was like, no, like we're partnering for you to make the hardware. So that falls apart. Nintendo goes and releases some like Panasonic terrible thing or CDI. I can't even remember what it was called. It was awful. It's like just such a weird time. And Sony released the PlayStation and man, did that change the entire landscape of the video game industry. But here's where Final Fantasy plays into that. So Square says, hey, you know, Final Fantasy is now going to the PlayStation. So there are people today that just hear Final Fantasy and they think PlayStation. There's people that might be a little older, be a little bit older and maybe have played, you know, the first six. They hear Final Fantasy. They might think Nintendo. You know, it, it eventually went to PlayStation and went to Xbox, went back to Nintendo. It's on PC. It's on everything now, you know, and that just kind of honestly makes sense. It's if you can port it, you might as well because people will buy it. So you want to have the biggest user base that you possibly can. Um, but, you know, at the time it wasn't. And at the time, Final Fantasy X was a PlayStation 2 exclusive you know, you had uh, the Nintendo GameCube, technically maybe the Dreamcast. It came out in 99. I think it still might have been kicking a little bit before Sega kind of closed up shop. Uh, and then, you know, you had the the Xbox as well. 
So Square and PlayStation, you know, they I, I don't know if they had a, a formal exclusive exclusive agreement, uh, but it, it came out on this hardware. It came out on the, the DVD. And once again, this is also kind of funny. So during the GameCube era, Final Fantasy did make its its step back into, you know, with Crystal Chronicles. It came back. Um, and I think it was actually a successful game. I think it sold like at least a million copies for for a system that sold like 18 million units. That's that's solid. You know what I mean? Um, but once again, Nintendo chose a, a format that 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 smaller disc. So the smaller disc, you know, less memory than a full DVD or you know dual lens DVD or anything like that. So you kind of found yourself in the same boat, you know what I mean? So I, I think that was Crystal Chronicles was Square and Nintendo trying to repair their relationship. But at the end of the day, you know, you basically, if you wanted to play Final Fantasy, you needed a PlayStation. And the PlayStation 2, um, you know, it was just a massive success when it came out. So it's a really nice combination of, you know, old school mechanics and new features for the time. And what's really interesting, too, is it did get an HD remake uh, I guess semi compilation because I think it has uh, Final Fantasy X 2 on it as well. Um, but what's really interesting is the game holds up. So I know they remixed a lot of the soundtracks. That's where the music of Final Fantasy X is absolutely phenomenal. There's a Xanarkin song because I think I have the the album on like iTunes, like on my phone or something like that. But you have like the Hymn of the Faith. Like there's a Xanarkin song where like halfway through you're kind of running through. Um, and potential spoilers, but you're running through like an area and it's just playing like this. There's a beat to it, but it's just like so sad. Like there's so much emotion in the music and in, in the game's story that, you know, with their choice of voice acting and kind of blending old versus new, I feel like they just did an absolutely phenomenal job with telling a really weird story that involves, I guess you could say, you know, maybe time travel um, somewhat, you know what I mean? Not, not necessarily time travel, but it, it definitely includes, um, odd ideas and mechanics in the story, but they tell it at the person level. So there's certain games, I'll, I'll give a side example, Mass Effect 2, you can tell a big overarching story, right? That's about like big stuff. So that might be, you know, something like, Star Wars. And then like Mass Effect 2, you can tell a story that really just there is an overarching story, but it's told through characters. And I think Final Fantasy 10 does that. Every character, you know, whether it be good or bad that you meet is just so dang interesting. And as this story unfolds, you just realize that the, you know, not everything is as it seems in this like crazy world that has gotten used to this crazy cycle. So, you know, what is the kind of main story? So, you know, Titus goes to this new world and um, there's this gigantic sea monster called Sin. And uh, every 10 years, Sin comes back and just starts absolutely. He, I mean, he's giant. He's like 50 whales. He's just this huge, magical, angry creature. And, you know, in this new society, which kind of takes like a laid back island approach that shuns technology because they believe that, you know, technology is what caused all of this. So if you use it, eventually sin will come and punish you. Um, so it, there, there's a lot of like, I want to say kind of like religious aspects to the game, which is really interesting. And it, it, that's another like JRPG trope. It's like step one, like, you know, going to the farm town 
And then like, you know, the, the last chapter of the game, fighting God, <laughs> which is still common in a lot of JRPGs. And that's kind of how this one plays. But you have this giant monster called Sin, right? And, you know, he shows up and just blasts cities away. And if the people that pass away in this world, you have to do something called ascending. So Yuna and a lot of these like um, summoners, I guess you would call them. So like your summoners, they're almost like trying to think of what you would equate it to something religious where they basically come and they send you off so if somebody passes away they'll do this dance and they send your spirit to the far plane or the afterlife essentially right and that way you can't become a monster well if you if you leave them there um you know eventually like your spirit will become a monster and then like you know you're just not in a good place so sin just like pops up every once in a while there's all these oceans uh and every 10 years these poor people just rebuild right so I think it's Spira is the name of like the, the new place. But long story short, Titus comes here. He's like, whoa, everything is different. Where the heck am I? And it's kind of like telling his story where you you got to know a little bit of his background because the opening, I don't want to go into it too much because it's so amazing. Um, but it's just a crazy opening and he's thrown into this new world and nothing is how it was before. Like all of the technology, all of the big cities, you know, a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot, but some people don't like Titus, 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 Titus. Um, I think in Kingdom Hearts, they say Titus, which is the first time I heard it like that. And I, I think Titus is the official way, but once again, for the sake of this podcast, so I'll be calling it Titus. So hopefully nobody like pulls their hair out. Um, but you're, the story's told through this character and they do a really good job. It kind of reminds me actually of star Wars where you have, um, Luke Skywalker where, you know, his background and he's kind of thrown into like a new situation. Like, you know, this kid going into a new situation and the story's kind of told through him. So a lot of what Titus is seeing with these new characters and this new way of life is very strange to him. And he'll say something, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like I remember, you know, Xanarkin, that's, that's where I lived. There was this giant city and everybody's like, Oh geez, are you okay? So he has to joke around and say they, the, the thing is if you're around sin, it can make your head foggy because of the sin toxins. So he, they just have to keep saying, Oh, he was around sin. Just let him go. But the story kind of follows his path through this new world and how and getting used to how things are and how things are supposed to be. But what's really interesting about the story is every 10 years, the cycle continues. So what will happen is, you know, a summoner sets out or a bunch of summoners will set out. A lot will die on the journey. Somebody will fight sin. You know, they'll do the final summon. They kill sin and, you know, they kind of die doing so. So they bring their bodyguards with them. They go, they have this battle. And for 10 years, there's peace. And everybody on this world just gets used to that peace for those 10 years and they're just happy. And then after 10 years, you know, sin's reborn, sin comes back, this happens again, the whole process starts, sin starts destroying cities, they can never fully rebuild, but they all look for that calm, which is like that 10 year period where they can just live their lives. But the story and the world are just filled with so much sadness and kind of, you know, accepting how things are. And as the story unravels, you know, with the whole religion, everybody's very religious, anti-technology, um, you know, smaller, smaller style living, smaller communities and everything like that. Um, 
but as everything starts un- unraveling, you kind of learn that, you know, there might be some nefarious people in this religion, you know, and they, people might know more about sin and why this recycles, um, you know, than it needs to. One thing with the story, so if you've played Final Fantasy X, um, it got a sequel. So it was wildly successful. It blew, you know, I think Square's expectations out of the water. I think with releasing on a new system, I don't think they were expecting, one, the PlayStation 2 to sell like it did. It's the best-selling console of all time, like 155 million units or something like that. That's That thing just took off. DVD ended up being popular. It was super successful. But early on, you know, I, I remember... Sony's president coming on saying like we're airdropping PlayStations in. So they were like flying them in on helicopter to drop them off to be sold. It was just absolutely wild. But I don't think they expected it to be as popular as it was. The game is considered one of the best games of all time. And I actually, I do agree with that. Um, Final Fantasy X is one of those games where I have like a, not a nerd rotation, but a rotation of games that I, I love. And like I go back and replay and it's been interesting that most of the games that I, I love or have considered my favorites, even if I haven't played them in a while, I go back and I'm like, yeah, this is still a really solid game. Like Super Mario Brothers 3, you know, a lot of the Zelda games and Final Fantasy X's in that list too. It, it holds up. The story's incredible. You might have some weird, the vo- okay, we talked about the voice acting, right? And, you know, the first one with voice acting and all that good stuff, you might, you might, uh, you know... You might have some weird scenes, the the laughing scene, which I think is probably the most common one, which everyone like looks at and they're like, oh boy. <laughs> and it's weird, but uh, it's all, it's kind of like a sweet scene too, like very nice scene. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, it is a little odd <laughs> when you first see it, like the ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and you're just like, oh boy. Um, it, but what's interesting about the story is it got a sequel. So it's really popular. It got a sequel. I think the way, and I won't like go into too much detail here because uh, I will put spoilers when I upload this podcast, but um, I- I'm not going to drop anything too big. So if you haven't played it fully, um, you could still listen to this safely. Um, but the way the Final Fantasy X ended, you you have your bittersweetness, but it, it, it leaves you with a feeling of like, wow, like it, you just experienced something very emotional and when you experience something like that, it just takes you a minute to really, you know, process those emotions. And this is a game that really, it, it did it for me. And I think maybe it's because you spend so much time with the characters and seeing their journey and their development and seeing them, you know, accept certain things and challenge certain things as well. So I, I think the core of the story is, you know, breaking a cycle and challenging things that are the way they are just because we're all used to them. And even though they're not good, you know, we just get used to them and accept them. Uh, it's kind of interesting seeing, you know, these characters challenge that and real and honestly, you know, break the cycle at the end of the day. But the way that the game ended, I didn't feel necessarily good. Like I didn't leave like, I'm so happy. Everything's wonderful. But it felt like a complete ending. But due to selling eight, you know, eight plus million copies squares like whoa like it, it was the first final fantasy to get a direct sequel and the podcast before this talked about 13 you know which ended up having uh, i think they were just trying to recoup money here to be honest <laughs> with how long final fantasy 13 and 13 versus uh, how long the development cycles took i think they were like we need to get money out of this um, but final fantasy 10 2 takes a different approach from the story uh, final fantasy 10s has like a sadness to it and it's serious 
so like the story and the characters in it, like they're, these are life or death situations. And the tone of it is like very depressing and sad. Like it, it deals a lot with death and rebirth. You know what I mean? Um, Final Fantasy X-2, uh, it just, it, it felt a lot different. So while the battle system was like more upbeat and cool, I personally prefer to skip it. Uh, and I know that might sound crazy because I know there's a lot of people that love it, but it's just like the way that Final Fantasy X ended, it, it did it for me. It felt complete. And while it's not 100% like a happy ending, you know, sometimes like stories, they feel because they've created characters that everybody loves and they've just created this experience that, you know, they can't leave it, you know, the way that it is. Like not every story or not every event is completely happy you know sometimes there's a little bit of sadness to life and the ending i think perfectly captures that while also giving you hope you know what is life without hope right however saying all that it got a sequel well final fantasy 10 needs baby is a prequel holy smokes so i remember uh i didn't have a playstation 2 at the time so i had a i had a gamecube and I still love it to death. It's still one of my favorite consoles. Um, however, before I got one, I played through it with my friend. So mainly it was me like watching him, um, you know, watching him play, like getting the battle system and everything like that. And then eventually like replaying it myself. But I remember watching the ending and just being like, whew, like it hit us in the feels for sure. But the prequel idea. So um, Bras Braska, Bra Braska, Braska, uh, Yuna's father, one of the main characters, father, um, her, the other main characters, Titus's father, Jet, and they had uh, Orin. Orin was with him. That's who. Um, so one of the playable characters of Final Fantasy X. So 10 years prior, they created the current calm. So that's how the story kind of takes place. Like you hear about, you know, Yuna's father and she has, you know, big shoes to fill and everything like that because he was such a prolific summoner. He's like a hero. Like he created the 10 years of peace that they were currently in as Sin's, you know, waking back up and destroying everything. A prequel of that with a similar battle system, maybe like updated a little bit, that just sounds amazing. So watching their journey of the previous, um, you know, sin slash calm cycle where they go and they, you know, fight it because that would just be so interesting because you get bits and pieces of it. So Titus doesn't have a great relationship with his father, Jet. Jet is, uh, you know, PG-13. Jet's like a badass. <laughs> Might not have been so great of a father or a husband. You know, drank a lot up until he kind of went on his journey. Um, you know, and you get bits and pieces. So Oren kind of... The, the way that everybody who knows Jet speaks of him is very positive. And like, he's a, this upstanding guy. So Titus comes into this and he's like, is this the same guy? Like man, he was like an absent father, was crappy to my mom. Like he hates him. So you have a, an interesting father, son, uh, mechanic there. And that speaks to me a little bit more now. I would say it's it, a lot. There was a lot of like cheesy times when there's like kid Titus and he's like, I hate you. Um, but I understand that relationship now that I'm a father of two boys. So I can understand like being present, being positive, being proud, you know, being a father for your sons is incredibly important. And when you're not, you know, it, it leaves a, it leaves a gap. It leaves a hole that, you know, sometimes people will try to fill with not so great things, but long story short, a prequel of jet Oren and Braska, you know, going on their journey and defeating sin, like, Holy smokes, that would be that that's the game to make. And to be honest, 
it's like there for the taking. I feel like, I feel like it's because the characters are, you've heard some of the stories like loosely, like there's a story where Oren tells a story to Titus about his father, where he gets drunk and attacks this giant, like Brontosaurus or Brachiosaurus, like one of those giant dinosaurs with the long necks from Jurassic park that eats the leaves. Uh, they have those there. They're called like shupus or shupos or something. Uh, but you like ride around on them and you know, he's drunk, like just plaster drunk and thinks it's an enemy and attacks it. And he's so embarrassed about it that he quits drinking. Like it turns him stone cold sober. Cause he's like, I have a drinking problem. Like I need to rectify this. And Oren tells, you know, his jets son, this Titus, and he's just like, whoa, like, uh, like, I don't know how to feel about this because all these stories that I'm hearing, it's like my dad's a different person. And, you know, he's a, a villain, basically. You know, he's the villain. He's a villain in that experience, not only to the main character, but just like it just is what it is. Like, he's not a, he's not a great person, you know, like from the viewpoint of Titus. So I think the prequels there for the taking Um here's the thing too. Square has talked about Final Fantasy 10 three and part of me is terrifying. Cause my last, my last podcast was literally like, you know how Final Fantasy 13, like let me down so much. And like, I just, like, I still love, I still like Final Fantasy, but I just view the series differently now. Um, and with Final Fantasy 10, you almost had a unified message at the company. So one thing that I can tell, like looking from the outside in without doing too much research, it looks like there's too many different things happening at Square Enix now. So a big project comes out or, you know, something like that. And it's, there's just everybody like working separately. It feels like where, um, Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy up through, I, I think Final Fantasy 10 or 10, two or something like that. Uh, that's a, that's a whole other podcast, which, you know what, we might actually talk about that in this too. I keep saying that, but there's a lot of like fun history here, but you know, he's the creator of final fantasy and I think it was the last game on his contract where that's where the name comes from. So he had like one more game to make. He made final fantasy. It's a wild success. You know, he creates kind of like the backbone of JRPGs and RPGs in general, to be honest, there was RPGs at the time, but like, man, final fantasy is credited with so much. So it felt like while he was there, so up through like final fantasy 10 ish, it felt like there was one voice or at least a more unified message that's being communicated to gamers via the video games that this company is making. Now, another thing that's huge that happened is around this time too, Squaresoft merged with Enix um, and they kind of, you know, combined and merged and the merger almost didn't go through uh, due to, you know, uh, Squaresoft's movie they ended up making, which we'll kind of get to in a minute here. But since that point, the games have felt different. They haven't felt unified in their message is the best way I can describe it. So if they do make Final Fantasy X-3, which at the end of the day, it's probably going to sell 10 million copies. Like Regardless of how I feel or what I say, or I'm like, oh, I liked Final Fantasy X, get off my lawn. You know, it's probably going to be a commercial success just because of the popularity of it. The HD remakes were extremely successful and on multiple platforms. But... I have a little bit of fear of the modern day Square Enix making this experience, but I feel like if you do a prequel, it's just time for it. I, I don't think you really need to get into much to the story of, you know, Titus, Yuna and the crew. I don't think you really need to continue doing it anymore. 
Um, I, I think you can leave it where it's at. I think that's fine. Um, and I think it would be weird because if you're going to continue the story going forward, there's one of two things you can do. You can put it 10, 15 years in the future and then, you know, everybody's, you know, kids are doing or like people that know of these people, you know, like they're somehow loosely related to the main cast of Final Fantasy X. You can do it that way or you can just do it like a sequel 100 years into the future. But then you run the risk of, you know, the resolutions not having uh, impact. So if you just created 100 years later and there's strife in the not cloud strife but there's strife you know and, and negativity and something bad happening in the world then everything they did you know was it worthwhile so you don't want to take away the accomplishments of that game and of that story so i think the prequel makes more sense because you can tell an interesting story that's alluded to with really really intriguing and interesting characters um you know, and kind of lead into what Final Fantasy X as the experience ended up being real time. So I, I, I really like, I really, I really do like that idea. But once again, if it doesn't happen, um, I will not be upset in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, I feel like you can kind of let it go. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think we kind of covered the music the the soundtrack of final fantasy 10 is absolutely awesome the hd remaster kind of like tweaked it and updated it uh, but luckily you can listen to the original and the you know hd remaster of the songs because they did they're not changed entirely it's still the same song um however they definitely you know they changed how it sounds so anytime you do that, it's a little it's a little dicey because the music's just phenomenal. But I, I honestly, like anytime I was playing the remakes, I, I switched between them. I'd listen to the originals, I'd listen to the new one. So you know that wasn't too terrible. Um, you know what's kind of interesting too, and I don't remember. And sorry for that background sound. Um, I don't recall what came first. Um, if it was Final Fantasy X or if it was Final Fantasy uh, The Spirits Within the movie. But this also kind of, and we can you know kind of wrap up a little bit with this. So Square Enix was Squaresoft, right? And you know they were planning a merger with Enix, so another you know RPG video game company. Um, let's see here. I wonder if I can find The Spirits Within easily. Yeah, I don't know because like Final Fantasy X feels more more of like a movie um let's see when it came out so it's 2001 ah oh, interesting they were both 2001 final, let's see final fantasy 10 when that released 2001 wow this is like basically no it came out before so it came out in july of 2001 so the movie final fantasy the spirits within came out in july final fantasy 10 came out in july 19th they came out like weeks apart. I did not realize that. Wow. Um, yeah. So basically, while this was happening, um, Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, um, they created Square Soft created a an actual like movie development studio as part of their. Um, this is going to be like part of their future. So their idea was not only were they going to make video games that were you know story based. And a lot of movie like too, because even like Final Fantasy Seven, there are a lot like movies like with the cutscenes and everything like that. That was always Final Fantasy Seven, Eight, Nine. They made they made that a point. You know what I mean? So, what's kind of interesting is 
they make this movie. Huge budget, so I'm looking at $137 million. And this comes, I didn't realize it came out so closely to Final Fantasy X. Like, that's absolutely crazy. Um, but Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, I mean, some of the other developers that are still at Square have said that, you know, he kind of led a unified message. So anytime they were designing or making a game, there's like one message. So everybody kind of gets their input in, and then here's one thing that we're presenting. So he's leading this movie, and it, it bombed. So box office, $85 million, so it lost a ton of money. It almost messed with the, the merger. Uh, Square Pictures, that movie studio that they made, uh, they ended up you know shutting down. So that's, that's all really, really you know interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird movie, by the way. I, d I don't recall disliking it, but it is really weird that it's Final Fantasy. It's not like a great, it's like a sci-fi apocalyptic type movie. Um, but I, I, here's where it gets a little weird because of this. And I, I think Sakaguchi might've worked on final fantasy 10 too as well, but he ended up resigning. So, you know, square soft eventually becomes square Enix and that's all fine and dandy, but I think he, he left. So the creator of final fantasy hasn't really been involved in Final Fantasy since. And I, I think you can really feel that. He got a special thanks for Final Fantasy XII. I do remember that. But even Final Fantasy XII feels strange. I love the game. I love Final Fantasy XII. But everything in the future for the franchise feels different, convoluted, multiple paths, maybe a little bit of confusion. Final Fantasy XIII, I would describe as a lot of confusion. Like, what are we trying to do? Like, what's our goal? And you might get three or four different answers where when you're releasing a product, you know, even if it's a video game, you can say it's art, but it's a little bit different because it's art that has to be commercially successful for it to exist. So it's weird. It's like you can make a painting and, hey, that's art. It doesn't necessarily have to sell. You know what I mean? Or you can, you know, I don't know. It, it's 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 odd. Like sales are absolutely critically important for our industry. I view it as art. I view it as both. It's a product and it's art. So, but to, to release a product, you want people consuming it and buying it. And when that doesn't happen, you know, it just changed the entire outlook of the company. And it's crazy kind of seeing that because if they ever were to make a Final Fantasy X-3, you have to ask yourself, can the modern day Square Enix make this game, stay true to the roots and still craft a story that was as engaging and as endearing and has stood the test of time like Final Fantasy X did? Personally, I don't think they could do that with 13 or 15. So I don't know if they're capable of making this game anymore, which is which is interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, too, um, you know, Sakaguchi stepped down, he left and, you know, he created, uh, I think it was Mistwalker Studios and made Lost Odyssey and a couple other games where you can feel his spirit in those games. And it feels like an old Final Fantasy game, you know, good and bad. Um, but it, it's just interesting seeing where the series can go from here. I don't expect to see, um, you know, any more turn-based battle systems in Final Fantasy Land 16 looks like it's going to be an action, you know, an action game as well. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Final Fantasy X still stands the test of time. It's still one of the greatest games of all times. I think it's the best example of if you're going to make a more modern turn-based battle system, that's how you do it. I think they did it, you know, near flawlessly. You could maybe tweak a couple things if you ever did make like a sequel with a similar battle system. But I, I think they just did an absolutely just awesome job. So 
Um, yeah, that kind of wraps up this podcast. Uh, Final Fantasy X is phenomenal. If you haven't played it and you're listening to this, that's pretty interesting, but go play it. It, it stands up. I, I played it relatively recently in the past like year or two. Still holds up. It's an amazing game. It's a story that'll that's a tearjerker that'll just, you know, punch you in the stomach, but you'll look back on it fondly. And, you know, the battle system just stands the test of time. I, I would love to see, and you know what we have with the Persona series and SMT series, you're still seeing, you know, these old school battle systems being modernized and it can be done. So it would be awesome to see again, um, updated and mixed. And I think Final Fantasy X, if you want to do it old school, but do it really well, I think that's the best example of like a turn-based battle system. So that wraps up Gaming's Lost Memories. Uh, I'm your host, Big Reed, and I look forward to talking to you again.